This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Yesterday, we learned about a grim milestone in the pandemic. Canada now has the largest percentage of nursing home deaths in the world, or at least the Western world. This from one of our leading geriatricians, Dr. Samir Sinha. A report that I helped write uh, as part of an LSC working group, um, it shows that Canada currently has the dubious honour out of 14 countries of high, having the highest death rates in long-term care in the world. When we have that dubious distinction there, that actually, you know, this is where we've actually seen the highest proportion of our deaths being in long-term care homes. Um, I'm hoping that that compels us to change, but I, you know, I, I don't know if it will. Okay. Um, if you have a comment on that, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to bring in Charlene Stewart, president of SEIU Healthcare, and Jane Medes, staff lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. My, my pleasure. Okay. Uh, Charlene, first of all, our condolences. Uh, your union, uh, you have lost three union members who uh, were long-term care workers uh, since the pandemic hit. I'm very sorry for your loss. Yes, thank you very much. It was unfortunate and definitely, in my opinion, avoidable. Um, are you surprised to hear this statistic from Dr. Sinha's report, which involved 14 countries? Yes. Of course. I mean, I know that there's a serious problem in long-term care in Canada, but to be the largest, yeah, it's shocking. Very disappointing. Jane? Well, I mean, it's out of 14 countries, and I'm not sure that we have the full picture, but it's obviously just far too high. Um, And I think when you look at, you know, like a country like Australia has had less deaths than we have had in some single homes. I think that those are the numbers that we really need to be looking at. Uh, one of the things that that he brought up when I was speaking to him is that we have numbers on long, long-term care, but as far as he's concerned, we should be looking at retirement homes as well. There are outbreaks in quite a number of those, and, and they are actually uh, have a lot looser regulation than our long-term care homes. Well, I would agree with that. I think that um, the the one difference between a retirement home and a long-term care home is that retirement homes do certainly tend to have uh, people, not always, but in most retirement homes, people tend to have a room or a suite where they can be um, cordoned off. So the isolation is a little bit easier in, in retirement homes. So we would hopefully not see quite as many deaths, but it's absolutely a huge problem in retirement homes as well. Uh, Charlene, do you have a view of that? Yeah, I agree. Uh, we often forget about retirement homes, and really, uh, um, Jane is right. The accommodations are different, but the care levels are becoming much closer to what you're seeing in the nursing homes. And uh, the personal support workers will tend to work in both nursing homes and retirement homes. So there is some similarity, but regulations is an issue as well. I do agree with Jane. And, um, and I, 
Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think that that because they are sort of the forgotten, again, things like getting PPE into those homes, into any kind of congregate living, whether it's, you know, uh, attendant care, group homes and all of that, um, has taken a backseat to the tragedies that we're seeing in long-term care. And we have to make sure that anyone living in congregate care is is cared for properly mm-hmm. and the staff are, to care, are, are properly um outfitted with the PPE. Uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the the case of that horrible, I mean, uh, the Maison Aeron in Quebec, I think that's a retirement home. And it's a place where people were paying up to $10,000 a month. Yeah, you're right. That even, you know, makes it worse to think that they are paying that amount of money and uh, those results that come out of there. But again, you know, it does go back to uh, not dealing with the proper protection and infection controls in every single public uh, institution that's still uh, remaining open and is considered an essential service. And again, we could even add uh, home care services into that as well. So it is uh, that that was horrific, but a lot of that was caused by the fact that the staff were no longer in there because they were either infected or um, they had chosen to work at another site, which is a real uh, pandemic on top of a pandemic in and of itself. Are you satisfied that the, some of the recent measures that the government has put in banning people from working in more than one facility and also sending in teams from hospitals and also the army, is, it, are we getting this thing under control, Jane? Um, uh, I'm, I'm not uh quite on board yet. Um, I hear, you know, certain things from the Premier and from the ministers around testing, but it doesn't seem to be panning out in the homes. So we're not getting the testing in the homes that we should. I hear from my, you know, from people in the homes that uh, PPE is not where it's available to staff. It's not being properly used all the time. Um, And then we have this sort of influx, you know, yes, they're allowed to only work in one home if they work for the home. But then we're bringing these people from all sorts of other places that are allowed in, whether they're from agencies or hospitals. So uh, I'm really concerned because I still don't think that they have proper controls within those homes. And then they're still within, they can't isolate and cohort. So it's still a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Charlene, I mean, one of the things that I keep hearing, and it, it kind of doesn't matter about which government initiative we're talking about, you you hear a minister announce something and says saying this is the way it's going to be, and it just it doesn't get all the way down to the ground. Yeah, I agree. And that has been extremely frustrating uh, to see what the premier and the minister say every day at 1 p.m. And then I get hundreds of frontline workers calling me and saying, you know, they're not telling the truth. We cannot get uh, proper protective equipment in those homes. And again, along with that, there's other things that they were uh, reckless on, you know, cohorting. And again, I understand the homes, uh, the the uh, capability of being able to do that. But this was not dealt properly with in the first place. We could have been moving some of those infected residents into hospitals and securing those as a as a COVID hospital, similar to what we did at SARS. There's so much that uh, went wrong here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Jane, you and I have talked about this, but but we learned that ahead of, uh, you know, the, the, the big wave, what the government did was move people from alternate level of care in hospitals 
into long-term care. And, you know, when when I look at this, I thought, okay, they were looking at what was going on in hospitals in, in Italy and New York. So you kind of understand it. But possibly in retrospect, it was a mistake. Well, I think that, you know, you know, you were seeing deaths in long-term care in Italy and, and France and all sorts of other countries. Um, and the push has always been to get seniors out of hospitals. Um, with little, uh, unfortunately, little um, uh, recognition of what that might mean for the seniors. It's always just, we got to get rid of them. And so this was the perfect opportunity for the hospitals to try to get them out without understanding that they were putting them into what was clearly inappropriate situations uh, in long-term care. And it was just a recipe for disaster. Then there's the question, does it make a difference if a home is for profit or not for profit? Uh, I just had my strategy panel and they all basically said, no, they have the same regulations and they should be enforced. And if they're enforced, what difference does it make? Charlene, do you have a view? Definitely. My experience has definitely seen a raise or a rise in infections and in the for-profit homes. And my experience with them is that they will continually put the profits and ensuring that shareholders get profits out of their businesses before they invest in the front line. I've been um, dealing with for-profit nursing homes for over two decades now, and we definitely have the evidence. There are a lot of homes that don't have outbreaks, and they're having great uh, outcomes, and it's because they went over and above even the guidelines and that they invested in the front lines and in the proper PPE and infection controls early. And and some of those are for profit, right? Yes, but yeah, but the outbreaks are definitely higher in the for profit homes than the not for profit. Jane, well, I mean, obviously there are outbreaks in both types of homes. Um, I think we're seeing some of the bigger numbers in the for profits, um, and I think that once this is over, we definitely need to. There's definitely data out there that show that uh, for profits do better uh, than not for profits in general. Just a minute, um, I think. Yeah, for profits do better than not for profits. Sorry, not for profits do better than for profits, and absolutely that 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 the, the not for profits um, have a better track record overall. Um, and I think that the other thing that we're seeing is that many of these homes that have high numbers are uh, really just investment uh, companies that own these homes, and then they hire out their they contract out the actual running of the home to another company. So in fact, there's two companies in there getting profit. And that has to stop. Uh, so um, uh, would you say that it's also important that the same company, I mean, if you think about it, if it's the same company that owns it and, and runs it, it's still kind of two sets of expenses, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that that's, that's the only problem. And I think we really need to look at the system as a whole. Um, and determine exactly what we're looking for. Uh, clearly what is happening now is not not appropriate, um, and I think we're going to really have to look at whether or not we're going to allow people to be making money off of our health care system. Well, we we already do. I mean, so much of it is, is third party. We have a single payer, but, you know, you can go to a private clinic for a colonoscopy or an x-ray or any number of things. Mm-hmm. But it the problem, I think, with long-term care is that people don't necessarily have the option. Many people would be prefer to be in um, 
in uh, not-for-profit long-term care, uh, but that may not be an option where they are because there's such a proliferation of the for-profits. And I think that uh, people really need to understand what the issues are. And, and I think I agree. I think there are a lot of issues with respect to some of the for-profits and, and how they're allowed to, to run um, at the moment. Okay. Uh, let's hear from Clay and Ajax. Hello, Clay. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Libby, whether it's uh, pro- for, for profit or not for profit, it's accountability. Like I was talking to you the other day there about Orchard Villa. There were 127 citations. There doesn't seem to be any follow-up. And it's, it's the same with the daycare. People, people get nailed at the daycare. They're supposed to do this. They're supposed to do that. But it seems like there's no inspection, no follow-up, no accountability. You know, like, how do we deal with this? Well, yeah, that's uh, enforcement is a big issue. Clay, I'm going to put that to our panelists. Thanks for your call. Uh, Charlene, what has to be stepped up in terms of enforcement? Well, I mean, he's 100% right. And uh, the not-for-profit, or sorry, the for-profit homes, I mean, they're publicly funded and, and privately run. And I say that that is the responsibility, 100% of the government, to oversee those homes. There are regulations in place, but they're never um, inspected. Like, they give a heads up to the homes when they're coming in that next week we're coming to do your inspection. So then everybody works overtime to get a home in tip-top shape. And the uh, cutbacks recently that the government did on the inspectors as well, I mean, that's all just adding fuel to an already burning fire. Okay, uh, let's hear from Marissa in Etobicoke. Hi, Marissa. Oh, hi, Miss Libby. How are you? Fine. You, you, your mom is in long-term care. My mother's in a long-term, has been for seven years, and she chose this particular one because she volunteered there for 25 years. But just leaving that aside for a moment, all I want to say is that it's criminal what has ha- taken place in these long-term facilities. They're understaffed, underfunded, uh, but it needs to be, there needs to be a major, major overhaul. And um, the PSW workers, anyone that, lives, that works in a long-term facilities, it's a calling. The vacancy rate is unbelievable. To imagine to work to two or three facilities to equal one paycheck, it's just unbelievable. I cannot say enough about Villa Toronto, Villa Colombo Toronto. They have 391. Unfortunately, one just died. And they've been on top of things. Since the end of February, we had to sign in and had our temperature taken. When the breakout occurred... Are you a PSW? Pardon? Are you a personal support worker? No, I go in and see my mom every day and feed her. Okay, I thought thought you said your mom was in Bob Cajun. No, I'm just saying places like Bob Cajun should have been torn down years ago Mm -hmm. if they would have had their annual inspection. Okay, so you're, you're, you are still going in to the Villa Colombo? No, I haven't seen my mother since March the 4th. And what happened is I've had two uh, double-sided window um, a viewing of my mom because my mother is also visually impaired. So I would go and see her between these two glass doors, and I would sing to her and talk to her along with my siblings because she recognizes our voices. But then when they had their COVID testing, and right now as we speak, they have 10 residents and 10 staff members, and they've been isolated downstairs on the main floor in an area away from all the residents. And I just cannot see enough on top of it. So we have not seen or I have not spoken to my mom since then. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but it sounds like she's in a good place. Oh, 
she is in a fantastic place, and we are so grateful to all the frontline workers there to think that some of them have had to choose where do they want to work, at Villa or other facilities. Okay. Marissa, thank you very much for that. All right. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, um, there you hear about a, a, some, a home that's doing something right. Charlene? I think that the- Go ahead. Uh, it's Jane. I, I was just going to say, I think that there's a lot of homes that are doing a lot of really good things. There were a lot of people that did get ahead of the game, um, didn't just take what the the government was saying. They they went ahead, they got PPEs, they gave PPEs to people. Um, and those homes have, uh, you know, done done well. Um, and many of the homes like Villa Columba, which are newer, uh, have an easier time of cohorting. Uh, the old homes, which were supposed to all be... Um, uh, changed by 2025. That hasn't happened. We probably have about 30,000 beds in Ontario that are still under the old system, under the old uh, uh, forward room and all that sort of thing. And and those are the places that are having really struggling. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're not for profit or for profit. If you have four people in a room and someone has COVID, it's going to be a problem. Uh, Charlene? Yeah, I I agree. There are some good homes, thank goodness. And there's a lot to credit for that. Uh, the ones that have got great outcomes are also homes that worked with us right from the beginning in partnership to make sure that uh, all the precautions were put in place early and the outcome everybody is celebrating. Some of these uh, outbreaks that are outrageously um, disappointing they were not talking to anybody, uh, including public health. I mean, a lot of the outbreaks we found out, and so did families through the media. So I agree. There is so much that went wrong right from the beginning of this, but the uh, structure of the homes is clearly an issue, too. The argument has been made that this is only spread by contact, but when you look at these numbers, there's definitely an argument for whether it was airborne. And a lot of these homes, including Downsview, where we just lost a personal support worker a few days ago, the ventilation system in there is horrible, and it has been in question for years. So there's lots of, uh, to be considered. Okay, yeah, forward. the infectious disease specialists are saying it's droplets, but it's not airborne. I'm just putting that out there. That's what, that's what they seem to be saying at the moment. Um, yeah, we're disputing that. Okay. Um, Let's hear from Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for taking my call, Libby. Uh, With respect to the profit versus not-for-profit, the per diem that's given to uh, the long-term care homes, it's the same regardless of profit or not-for-profit. So it only makes sense that if it's for profit, you're going to take a piece of that off the top for overhead and profit which leaves less money for patient care than if it was for not for than if it was for profit with respect to the 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 structures in the buildings the assumption that the private sector borrows money cheaper than the government is not correct either i mean the government's able to borrow money more cheaply than uh, the private sector the reason why we have not done that is governments are low to carry debt on their books. Uh, Dennis, I'm sorry. Um, I have to cut you off because we're basically out of time here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Thanks for your for call. Taking my call. Okay. Uh, I will give you 20 seconds each. Jane. Well, I think that the, uh, you know, we really need to get the government to act. Um, following all of this is going to have to be a total revamping of the system. Um, but I really hope that uh, they'll, government starts to really 
um, get in there and put their money where their mouth is and make sure that things are happening that they're saying are supposed to happen because it's not happening now. Charlene? Yeah, um, I would agree. There's lots of really nice, soft-hearted things being said right now by people saying that there was a problem that existed. Um, They need to step up. I'll be holding them accountable to fixing it going forward. And we'll also be asking for a lot of inquiries to look at what went wrong here so that we don't repeat it. Okay, you go with that. Thank you very much, Jane Medes and Charlene Stewart. Appreciate your time. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.